Hey, good morning, Fairfax Bible. How are we doing? Mike, love hearing you nice and loud. Thank you, thank you. Love the Ritz family. Hey, uh, good morning again, and I want to just thank Pastor Matthew for inviting me and for his fellowship and friendship. This brother is a gift, isn't he? Come on. Love your pastor. He really is. He is the real deal and just fantastic. And, and hang is not bad. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Love me some hang, too, as well. All right. Um, I don't know about you, but I hope you have zeroed in on your one. Maybe two or three, because uh, I was asked to speak at um, Trinity Christian Schools, uh, the Bible class, the eighth grade Bible class, and... You know, we had to do some kind of role play, the teacher and I, to help kids to understand to do evangelism. And then um, I wrote him back, said, you know what? I prefer to actually do a live thing. Can I bring an un unbelieving friend or two? You know? And so I have a Saudi friend who's going to be joining me who doesn't know Jesus yet. And then I reached out to my Indian American secular atheist friend who we hang out all the time and we talk about faith on a regular basis and about belief. And so um, this is dear to me, and I hope it is dear to you because there are probably people in your life that God's place that he wants you to share the good news with. So this is a topic that every church, in fact, struggles with including All People's Community Church. And then last month, our church plant in, in Dumfries, it's a Latino church plant, um, Pastor Jose asked me to come and speak on this very topic. You know, because I asked him, I said, what do you want me to preach on? And he goes, yeah, we really are struggling in evangelism. Can you come preach on that? All right. Why is that? It's simple, isn't it? It's because of fear. It's not necessarily just because of time. We can say maybe it's priorities and a lot of those things. But when it, when it comes down to it, we fear rejection. We fear the disapproval of people. We fear of being canceled by those that could be our friends, co-workers, neighbors. You don't want to make, make things awkward, do you? I don't. But I want you to understand this. Whenever the fear of man is greater than our faith in God, then we are enslaved to our fears. Whenever the fear of man is greater than our faith in God, not only are we enslaved, but we're powerless. God has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell within every single believer, to empower us. And we need faith in Him. We all want to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we? The living God, not just on Sundays when we sing or listen to a sermon, but whenever we scatter and to be salt and light into this world. This is what the church is. It's great to see the members 
here and being family, but then after today, they're going to be scattered out, family members out to be salt and light. That's what the church is. It's not just church gathered, but the church scattered, right? And so uh, I'm going to continue in this sermon series, and I'll be preaching out of Colossians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up and meet me there and then join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your, your presence here with us. This is a house of worship, a house of prayer. We long to seek your face and to experience you as the living God. We thank you for the word, which is your son, Jesus Christ. He is the living word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who teaches us, who guides us to get to know and experience and encounter the, the living Jesus Christ, the resurrected one here today, who reigns as we have as just sang. Maybe for your glory and our joy we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. In Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us three things that will enable you to be a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. The first is this, is to pray persistently. Secondly, we are to walk wisely. And thirdly, to talk graciously. Alright, so it's pray, walk, and talk. For those who like to take notes, I see you out there. Think about a three-legged stool, right? You need all of those things to be a powerful and stable witness. Uh, verse 2 begins, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's a lot of confusion on what prayer is. And I want to clarify a couple of things about prayer, okay? First of all, prayer is about God and not us. See, there's a lot of confusion with that. You may say, yes, I understand that, but what is the first thing that your heart prays for? Right? I'm not saying it's not bad to, to pray for you know, the struggle that you're in. Maybe it's financial, mental or emotional or physical struggles in that you're in. But what does, how does the Lord Jesus teach his disciples? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the first thing he, he teaches us. What he's trying to teach us is this. The prayer is not about us, but it's about God. He's trying to reorient our life. Because everything about us, this is what our, our fallen nature, the flesh does, right? Everything about the flesh, makes, wants to make everything about us and our comfort and our ease, right? And so this prayer, when we pray biblically, it reorients our life around God. And that's when it's freeing. Beyond the circumstances that you're in, completely different than things go well, that you can still... Say, hallowed be your name. Pastor and author John Piper, he uses a helpful image to help us understand what prayer truly is. He says that it is not an intercom when you call a butler to send down a pillow. He says it's a wartime walkie-talkie that you're, you're calling the general 
to send reinforcements. Think about this. But think about what you pray for. Is it ease and comfort that God would give you those things? Is he your, your butler you press the intercom with? Or are you talking to the general and, and pleading for reinforcements and power from on high? Because prayer is about God. It's not about us. Secondly, prayer is praise and not merely petition. It's, it's more than needy people. Who, that's what we are. That's who I am for sure. Definitely needy. It's, it's more than just needy people petitioning, making requests to God. But it is fueled and empowered by praise and thanksgiving. And this is how we pray steadfastly, right? Think about this. In my culture, whenever we visit someone's home, you bring gifts. Some of your culture is the same, amen? Nod your head with me, right? And the more important the person, what do you do? You bring the more important gift, right? Makes sense? And this is what the Old Testament sacrificial system was. Whenever you entered into the presence of God in the house of God, that you would present gifts, offerings to, to him. Okay? But he really didn't want gifts. He wanted your heart. But here's the interesting thing. What's radical about the New Testament is this. God chooses to give guests unworthy guests like us, his greatest gift, and in his son. And so when we approach him, we come that he gave first, right? He gave his best. He sacrificed his best. And he invites us to be family. He gave his son. And this is the power. When we understand what God has done and saving and sanctifying and adopting sinful people like us. And this is the power when we truly understand this. Because when you read, continue steadfast in prayer, it sounds like work, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I don't know about your prayer life, right? But he says, continue steadfastly. First Thess 5.17, right? Pray without ceasing. That's, that's, that's a lot of work. That's hard work. It's like chewing artichokes and Brussels sprouts that are raw. It's work. Hard to digest. But here's how it makes it easy. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's the secret right there. That's the power right there. When you're not just grateful for the things that God's giving you, but most of all, grateful for it. His Son, Jesus Christ, that He's given us. See, when we look at something like when it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, we focus so much on the, on the activity, don't we? Right? i got to pray. All right, let me, let me put this down. This week, I'm going to pray more. Right? But you got to understand, this is chapter 4. Because something else takes place in the earlier chapters. Because chapter 1 and chapter 2 are about the indicatives, okay? Chapter 4 is about the imperatives. And you say, what in the world is, is he talking about? 
talking seminary jargon. Imperatives means commands, right? Indicatives tell you who you are, right, in Christ. Romans is the same, very same thing. Anybody, anybody know Romans? 1 through 11, all indicatives, who you once were in dead in sin, now you've been justified, right? And then in, in, in 12.1, what does it say right after that? Therefore, therefore, because you know who you are now, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Ephesians, the very same thing. One, two, and three, the gospel, right? And then chapter four. Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. So you have to understand who you are, your identity fuels your activity. This is so important. Because if you look back at, at chapter 3 in Colossians, he says this in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's your identity. You were once dead in sin. You've been baptized and, and raised in Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. This is what we're singing earlier, right? And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's who you are. And this is the point. When we know who we are in, in Christ, our identity in Christ empowers our activity for Christ. This is it right here. And this is the secret to the Christian life. This is where you find joy in obedience. Instead of grinning it and bearing it and saying, I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to try harder this time. There's no power in that. That's in human powers. Right? We need divine power. And this is the power of prayer. And this is the power that enables us to, to walk in obedience. Now in verse 3 of chapter 4, Paul tells us, what exactly are we supposed to pray for? And he says this, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. See, what he's saying is this. We don't have the power to open the doors of people's hearts. I don't know about you. I don't even remember what my passwords are on my apps and accounts. Anybody else? i got to always do the reset thing. Or I need, you know, the keychain to remember everything because I don't know a single thing. I, I can't even open my app, right? What he's saying is this. Paul's saying the same thing. I got no power. Only God can reach the one. Even the most difficult person that you could ever imagine. I was meeting with an unbeliever a while back. His name is Ted. And I've been sharing the gospel with him. And uh, we got together uh, for lunch. And the last time before we met, I, I encouraged him because he had read the Bible before. I said, hey, I want you to buy this book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. 
I want you to read that book. All right. And then we, he came to the lunch meeting late, and he says, I went to the bookstore, and I wanted to read the book, but they didn't have it. And this man, sitting at another table, walks over to us and says, excuse me, um, I heard you were talking about mere Christianity. He says, I keep a bunch of these books in the back of my car. I'm going to go to the car and give it to you. And so he runs out the door and goes to there. And I'm looking right across from Ted. I'm just smiling. <laughs> I didn't plant him. I didn't plan this. Right? It's all of God. And eventually, Ted trusts Christ. And I see Ted at, at, at a wedding. And he says to me, he says, hey. I heard my brother is going to your church. And I said, yeah. He says, he's the last person I would ever imagine going into a church. Ever. And he ended up trusting Christ. Because I don't believe that anyone is impossible or far, that far from the grace of God. My belief is in God who can do the impossible. He keeps doing it again and again and again because it's not about us. It's about Him. So I want to challenge you this week. Practical application on how can we pray persistently for the one. Anytime you go through a door, I don't care if it's the automatic door. You know, when you go to the grocery store, my son loves to do like the Jedi mind trick, Right? I don't care if you do that, all right? But pray. Just as a reminder, anytime you push a door, open a door, whatever, God, would you, in your might, in your power, would you reach out? Would you soften hearts? Would you open the door? And then would you give me courage, give me power to share your word of salvation with him or her? So pray persistently. Secondly, we are to walk wisely. Verse 5, he says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. This, this phrase, walk in wisdom, it means to live and look differently from the wisdom and ways of the world. All right? And this is what he talks about in, in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, worldly in you, which is specifically sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. This is, that's, that's us. That's the world that we live in. That's Fairfax, right? And this is the world's version of their way, their truth, and their life. That's their hope of salvation that they have. But it's the way of destruction and death. Look at verse 6. It says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices. I love the last point 
commitment of the membership covenant that Pastor Matthew talked about. He says, no gossiping. Because that's not who we are. Right? Because here's what verse 10 says who we are. And we have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He's saying there's a different way to live. This is what we're supposed to put on. Because we live in this very angry and antagonistic, self-centered world. Right? People are trying to win, fighting with words. Fighting on the battlefield of social media and politics. But anger, politics, and reason, they're they're rooted in self-righteousness. And we can get caught up in that as well. But Paul says, put to death. Whatever is earthly, whatever is carnal, whatever is fleshly in you. And here's why. This is what you once were. You're new. What that means is this. I've unsubscribed from that. I stopped following the ways of the world. I'm following somebody else. I'm, I'm not just subscribing. I'm submitting myself to his way. His life. I'm not on that mailing list anymore. I've been made new. Because this is what we once were. See, Jesus' main goal wasn't to win arguments and and defeat and destroy people with words, but to win people's hearts, to bring life into them, to give them new life, a new way to live. And to show them before he told them. Let me put it another way. We are butterflies in a caterpillar compost world. Right? That's who we are. We're butterflies, not caterpillars in a compost world. Because that's what we once were. Caterpillars. But now we're new creations clothed in the righteousness of Christ and clothed with compassion and kindness and humility, meekness and patience with no hint or smell of compost. Because that's what we once were. My question is this. If you were to ask your one or any unbelievers in your life, your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members, people that are close to you, what would they say about you? Would they see a butterfly that's living completely different than the world, that looks so different? Or would they say, no, he's just like us, in the compost? But what would God say about you? Your heart, your thoughts, and your behaviors. Pray persistently that God would open the doors, but pray also that God would help us walk wisely like Jesus. We're to pray persistently, walk wisely, and thirdly and lastly, talk graciously 
Verse 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul instructs us in, in Colossians 3 what gracious walk and gracious talk looks like. He continues in, in verse 13, he says, bang with one another. After he says, close yourself, he says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint with, against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let me give you four things you can glean out from this. Four phrases that if we master and we practice, that our words would be seasoned with grace. Number one is this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How often does that come out in your family, to your kids, if you're parents, spouses? And if you're kids, do you say it to your siblings? Do you hear your parents say, I'm sorry? Because nothing communicates our desperate need for Jesus than I'm sorry. The more we say it over and over and again, it just points more and more, not to your sins but to, and, your, and your failures, but to Jesus as your Savior. I'm sorry. I've said that to my kids many times. And, and one of my kids, so funny when she's so young, uh, I said to her, I'm sorry, for, Daddy, for sinning against you with being harsh with my words. And she says, that's okay, you're a sinner. <laughs> Theologically accurate. I claim it. That's what I'm saying every time I say I'm sorry. I'm no better than you. I'm a, I'm a sinner in need of grace. The second word is this. I forgive you. You know, Paul says that we are to forgive. Why? As the Lord has forgiven us. This is the mark of, of Christians, we're not just sinners, we're forgiven people. And that should be something that we should say often. I forgive you. And truly mean it. I forgive you. Third one is, is this. I love you. I love you. Put on love, he says. That binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the mark of the church of believers, that we love unlovable people because God loves them. Do you believe that? The people that you think are so far because you don't want to be near them, right? You would think that no one wants to be around that person. God does. He loves them. He loves the compost world. He does. The fourth word, the phrase is this, thank you. We're grateful people because of the, of the gospel of grace. I want you to do an inventory this week. Even today, look back 
how frequent or infrequent you use some of these words. Maybe you say, I love you a lot. But how, what communicates your love more than saying, I'm sorry and I forgive you? We sometimes put emotions to some of these things, but we can't listen to our emotions. Our emotions are a gauge, but not a guide. We understand the difference between that? We can't let our emotions guide our life. The Word of God is our guide. This is what we're supposed to do. I was talking to someone in our church. And we're talking about Matthew 18, about, about if someone sins against you, right? That you're supposed to go and confront them, okay? And as we were talking, I said, well, that may be, you know, your personality, but some people, it's, it's not, right? Meaning it's so uncomfortable, it's so emotionally difficult to confront people or to share the gospel with someone because we're listening to our emotions and to our fears, right? And, and I said to the person, this is the word of God, it's not an advice, God's not saying, if you feel like it, then go. When you're ready, then go. No, it's, it's a command. Because we're supposed to forgive as we have been forgiven. We're supposed to love in, in the way Jesus has sacrificially loved broken and needy and fallen people like us. This is why we keep saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for these people that you've placed in my life. Thank you. See, these are the words of grace that season relationships. The gift of forgiveness and love, it, it really changes the tone of conversations and, and allows people to be open to change. Karen Mueller who served in the Peace Corps in the Philippines, uh, digging wells and, and working in, in indigenous villages. She was warned about the coming uh, armed communists that would come to interrogate her. And, and so she hustled and got two precious commodities, which is coffee and sugar. All right? I know some of you needed it this morning on daylight saving. Okay? And so what she did was this. She prepared coffee. And then these 17 soldiers came to the hut. And she says, thank God you're here. I've been waiting for you all day. I've got coffee for here. Go ahead and leave your guns at the door. And just by showing kindness and hospitality, everything changed. It confused the leader. And he sat down for a cup of coffee. It diffused the situation. And instead of interrogation, it turned into conversation. And because according to Mueller, she says that you can't interrogate someone you're having coffee with. <laughs> so your walk matters, your talk matters, and your prayers matter. And the way we can diffuse awkward relationships, tense relationships, distant relationships, just those phrases. 
I'm sorry. I forgive you. I love you. And thank you. Who's that one person that God's placed in your life? Someone that needs the gospel. Who's the one that God wants you to use these words to? To season them with grace. Who's that one person too that that you want to walk wisely in front of them so that they may see the beauty of Christ, of a transformed life? Who's that one person that he's calling you steadfastly to pray for? That God to open the doors of their hearts. In Mark chapter 5, the Lord Jesus, he encountered a demon-possessed man. Crossed the other side of Galilee. Should go this way. And to Gentile land. You may be familiar with the story. If you're not, this man, demon-possessed man, he lived in what? The tombs. They, they shackled him to the tombs. Okay? He was a social outcast. He was dangerous. And the Bible says that he was crying out day and night and cutting himself. I don't know about you, if, if, if I went there, I would be on the other side, right? I'd pull out my phone and pretend like I got something important coming in, like, right? That we do to ignore, avoid eye contact. Jesus doesn't do any of that. The Bible says that the man immediately rushed up to him. And what does Jesus do? He says, what's your name? He wants to know him, right? He's not that weirdo, that crazy dude, that the person that no one wants to, to have, right? Avoid that dude person. He says, what's your name? And, he, and the man tells him his name, Legion, and there's a story behind that. And so Jesus is willing to sit with this man. And of course he delivers the demons out of him. And the Bible says that he's sitting in his right mind and clothed. But I want you to understand this. Before you think about that person being your one. Or the person that you're avoiding. I want you to understand that's you and me. And here's what's really crazy about this, is this. Jesus is the one who says, I will become naked. I will be at, at the tombs, right, where he was crucified. I will become naked. I will bleed. He completely took that man's place. And that's what he's done for us. And when we truly understand this, this is the power of the gospel that enables us to say, that's what I once was until I met Jesus. If you're here today and you've never encountered a living God that's done that work for you, and that you, you, when you come to a gathering like this, you just feel shamed, you feel naked, you feel vulnerable, because you're so concerned about the sins that you committed maybe last night or this week, some habitual sin that's just haunting you. I have great news for you. Jesus took all of that. 
he became naked. If you hear your heart is bleeding, he, he bled on your behalf. If you feel like you're, you're bound, like the demon-possessed man chains, Jesus was nailed on the cross. He was bound for you to break those chains of shame and sin. Jesus clothed you in, in righteousness, giving you a right mind when we set our minds on things above. And that's the power. And he has that here for you today. So would you receive that today? If you never trusted Christ, I invite you to do that today. Please talk to Pastor Matthew and the elders with Will and anybody else. And if you are a believer, would you receive that once again with gladness and with thanksgiving? Would you again believe that? That God pursues you in that way and he will pursue that one in your life as well. Would you now join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we are no better, not any kinder or wiser. We've just been transformed by supernatural power. We've all groveled in the, in the compost of this world, but you have changed us, not made us kinder or better. You made us new, completely new. We're new creations, and it is all of grace. And you have empowered us by the Spirit to be able to live this new kind of life. And so we ask for, that we would submit to you and your guiding life on our... That we would listen to the Holy Spirit. We would obey the Holy Spirit. That we would walk and talk and pray as butterflies transformed in this caterpillar world. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you first loved us. In your name we pray.